From first to last, they're not your typical scene band. They are the typical scene band. Hailing from multiple corners of the United States, from first to last rise to emo superstardom leaned heavily on popularity they developed on MySpace. MySpace played a significant role in the promotion of music in the mid-2000s, and the band thrived there and built a rabid fan base. From first to last carefully crafted their brand of metal and punk rock influenced emo with all black clothing, sweeping fringes, piercings, fingerless gloves and eye makeup, a style that teens adopted all over the world. Their debut full-length record, Dear Diary, My Teenage Angst Has a Body Count, sees the band at the peak of its influence and is most famously fronted by an underage Sonny Moore, who would go on to become eight-time Grammy Award winner Skrillex. From first to last have existed in many different forms, with guitarist and vocalist Matt Good as the band's only constant member, with Derek Bloom providing intricate double-kick-driven drumming and guitarist-vocalist Travis Richter rounding out the core of the group. In a way, from first to last significant history is well documented as one of the scene's most promising young bands, burdened at the peak of their success by their singer's ailing vocal cords and his later solo musical success. The band has seemingly long lived in the shadow of Sonny Moore's departure. My name is Paul. Alongside me is Nick. Today on Violence and Sunshine, we're exploring from first to last. So this band really... Uh, couldn't be more emo, I would say, in the sense of what the the genre uh, term for emo is when we're speaking about you know music, how these how this band looked, how they dressed, everything about them. You know this this is a band that I really only am kind of uh, you know involved in and and keen on really one album from these guys. But I think this is a band that you definitely have a little bit more of a, a love affair for and know a little bit more about them. So, you know, man, tell, tell me why. What is it about from first to last that kind of stuck with you or still sticks with you now? Don't you think when you look at a band that looks like this, they should just be so shit. Like you, you see these <laughs> haircuts, you see that eye makeup. My God, man, these guys were so talented, you know, pretty young as well. And I think Sonny Moore taught us that you could just be a haircut and a camera angle and girls would be into you. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not here to like, you know, throw, throw shade at anyone, but Sonny Moore was uh, not the best looking dude, but you get a bit of eye makeup on, a bit of a haircut, the right angle, and girls going to go crazy for you. And this band was one of those bands that I totally listened to because I liked and because other girls were listening to it as well. And it was just a way for 16 year old me to be like yeah hey girls i'm 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 on board with you yeah sunny more i listened to dear diary at the time i loved it i've listened to it a bunch this week and i really really enjoyed it this band is way better than i mean i think they got the credit they deserve they're no like attack attack or anything like that where it's super cringeworthy but this band is just a lot of fun dear diary is a great record i think they did that kind of experimentation thing on their next record heroin which i'm always begging bands to do whether it worked out or not but i'm really glad we're talking about them this week they've got a very storied history and i think we may as well dive into that because myspace was mentioned at the top of the episode that was very important to us back in the day oh was it ever what is what a great way to connect with fans to connect with other bands to promote yourself a platform to put music on a platform to promote yourself i just i can't think we would have operated very well without it yeah it was it it was far more like personalized. Hey, it was basically your own mini website. Like if you wanted, if you knew how to use it, which thankfully you did, so you could then help me. But, uh, you know, you could you could personalize these pages to such an extreme where it really was you on a page. Hey, like it was, it wasn't like, you know, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all these newer platforms these days that don't really allow anyone to know the user basically behind what your profile picture is there's nothing else to be known about this person um but myspace gave you an insight you had your song you know you had your your, your song playing um when people went to your page you had your background you had your top eight you had like there was definitely a style and a flavor that that made people maybe oh i'm on paul 13's page Woo. Hey, shout out paul 13 represent <laughs> I'm on his page. I know what this guy's about. Maybe, you know, he's into similar music to me. Maybe he's, um, you know, a guy I could like, you know, hang out with or chat to. So yeah, it, it was, it was, there was far more to it. And bands like from first to last just absolutely exploited that platform in the best way possible. 
from first to last really existed almost entirely on MySpace. Like, yes, they had record deals. Yes, they played shows. But I know that we didn't even need to see them live in like their famous iteration to just love this band and follow this band and want to know everything that they were doing. They've got like quite some like, you know, back and forth stories between members and people coming and going. And every statement was ever released on MySpace. Every like little fight was always visible on MySpace. It was just a different time for the scene, man. Like these bands were huge. They were rock stars they were fighting and feuding in interviews i didn't i didn't know there was you know so much kind of um i guess beef between this band and other bands in the scene or maybe other bands even from other scenes but um you're right like every, everything did play out though on myspace hey like there was no real caution as to like oh should we put this out there should we not you know maybe it wouldn't look good for our brand if we said this or we didn't say that and it's just like no it was just like all on show for everyone to follow just like anyone else who was on there regardless of like their their celebrity status <laughs> and it was all so important to us like it was breaking news <laughs> when from first to last released their statement about sunny sunny moore's departure on myspace and everyone's talking about it and sharing it and shocked putting their favorite lyrics on a bulletin because they miss sunny but let's go back to the start of the band so Matt Good is the the constant member of the band. He started the band in the late 90s with a couple of friends. And at that time, the band was called First to Last. They recorded a couple of demos, but it didn't really work out. So a couple of years later, they released an EP called Aesthetic with a few core members of their lineup, but a different singer, Matt Good, stopped being the lead vocalist and became kind of like backup vocalist and guitarist. They had Phil Reardon come in and do kind of screaming vocals. And that Aesthetic EP really launched the band into kind of the attention of people on the internet and MySpace was a great source for that. Um, they they toured a lot. They kind of, you know, played with bands like Sayerson. So they were really operating in that scene. But they didn't really blow up until Sonny Moore came along. So Phil Reardon's out as the lead vocalist. 16-year-old Sonny Moore auditioned for the band as their guitarist because Matt Good was going to go back to lead vocals. Sonny Moore comes in as a guitarist. They hear him singing in the studio and they're like, fuck, Let's get this kid on lead vocals. And what a great idea that was. Like, that's just, <laughs> that is their sound. Like, from first to last, have existed in different forms without him before and after. But we'll be honest, and, and what we're majorly talking about today is Sonny Moore's involvement in Dear Diary and then, you know, his later success as well. But Dear Diary was a really, really cool record that came out in 2004 Apparently, it had been written entirely and recorded musically before Sonny came along. So I always find that songwriting process interesting when a singer hasn't been involved in the construction of the music because they've just got to fit their lyrics into what's there. Like, you and I have written songs together, and if I'm writing the lyrics to it, I'm like, oh, can we double that part or shorten that? Or you'll have a suggestion like that, and we can work it out before the song's finalized. But I'm really impressed on that point alone that Sonny could come in, put down new lyrics, some of which were written with the band, and you know fit it into what they already have and to to know that to still put out such a great album and just fit so seamlessly you've been listening to dear diary a little bit this week right yes what were your impressions what did you think as you listened back because i know you didn't love them the way i did and you weren't out trying to impress the girls the way i was but (laughs) yeah what did you think yeah they're a bit, bit of a one album band for me definitely dear diary itself um you know a very nostalgic listen back this week you know definitely got into that album, enjoyed it, loved it at the time. Um, don't remember really the aesthetic EP, but did give that a bit of a listen this week too. So obviously a, a more pop punk type album um, before getting into Dear Diary, which has all those extra hardcore metal, screamo, emo, you know, this whole kind of ball of music that come out on that album and then didn't didn't continue on to, to heroin, so hadn't heard that before. But um, yeah, Dear Diary, listening this week really surprised me because just like you covered earlier, I thought this was going to be shit. I thought we were in for another census fail here. Like I thought, you know, we're going to be having cringy, cringy lyrics, cringy fucking, you know, band to like even just look up, even just Googling them. I'm just like, ugh, these guys. I thought that was all going to come back and it kind of didn't. Like the, the music is far more intricate and clever than I I ever thought then. And maybe it's just taken a little bit of maturity now to listen to it kind of as as a standalone thing now, a good, what, 16 years, 17 years later, something ridiculous. Um, 
it holds up. It, it really, really holds up. So I know that uh, our good friend uh, Greblo has a bit to say about this band, so let's hear from the men now. From first to last, hey? Oh, how the name rings true. I remember when I first heard them, it was the Ride the Wings of Pestilence video, and it was a revolution. It was exciting. It was a new flavour of chippies. But two, maybe one year later, who gives a shit? I mean, they couldn't even get a mention on my MySpace music section. I don't know if it was the second album or me realising the song Emily is absolute trash, but they went from sunny more to sunny less. <laughs> Thanks, Grabs. <laughs> he ain't wrong. Yeah, another another food analogy too there. A little uh, new flavour of chippies. New flavour of chippies, <laughs> indeed. Uh, well, let's talk about Dear Diary in a slightly greater amount of detail because obviously their story revolves heavily around Sonny Moore coming and going. Let's talk about the peak of their career, though, arguably. Their, their debut full-length record, Dear Diary, My Teenage Angst Has a Body Count, that title, you should be just like, oh, this is going to be fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't even know if I ever said it in full. Like, I was just like, oh, I'm listening to Dear Diary. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying the full thing. Definitely. There, there's definitely an element of being a little bit embarrassed, as a, even as a fan, to, to, to say that album in, in full. I definitely haven't, even throughout all my notes this week. And it just says, Dear Diary, Dear Diary, Dear Diary. Like, I'm not, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, but in saying that, I know that other mates of ours in the scene really uh, kind of fell in love a bit with that title. They they really saw that as something that was quite cool, something that was, you know, a bit edgy. Uh, you know, it, it kind of falls into that realm of that stupidly long song titles that we've delved, um, you know, gone into a bit with different bands. Not only is it a Fallout Boy-esque title, it's as clever as a Fallout Boy title because it's a line from the movie Heathers, which is you know, a classic 80s movie. So again, they're not just doing the long sung title because they can, they're doing it because it's a literary reference and mad respect to that. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that we was probably lost on a lot of a lot of fans at the time. You know, we were young, so we were only, geez, what, what is this, 15, 16 kind of age? So we're not necessarily out there, you know, Googling that song title to see what, you know, it's linked to from, uh, you know, a movie or a book or a poem or something, but these bands were more clever than that. And they often did, there was a, there was a reason or a meaning behind something often. And um, so, yeah, in knowing that now, I feel a little bit better about the, about <laughs> the album, about the album name, but no, seriously, for, for this, this song all starts for me uh, from, from track two, which is basically track one after their little weird kind of intro, but those opening toms into that, fucking chaotic scratchy fast guitar in the one arm boxer like you just know you're in for a ride and know uh, instantly I feel even from track track one there it, it, this isn't going to be a typical emo kind of album is it like this is more this has got more guts to it it's heavy it's definitely heavier uh than I even remember like it was they're they're definitely kind of a heavier emo band aren't they they've stepped out of that pop punk style that they had on their first EP obviously Sunny Moore joining the band for this album could be a big, big influence in them kind of changing. But you said they'd already had all the music down before he was even asked to come aboard as the lead singer. So the band had made that call, I guess, to take a different, you know, direction and and go with something a little more heavy and a little more interesting. But it's really all about three key things on this album for me. It's It's the chaotic double kick drumming mixed in with that like fast as hell, you know, guitar that just goes from punk to metal and back and forth and it just keeps switching. And obviously the soaring high vocals from from Sonny Moore and all the dual vocals and layered vocals throughout those three key things that just continue throughout the entire album just make it such a, such a standout and a real pleasure actually to listen to this week. I'm not sure there's really a bad song on it. Like I, I was listening to it to kind of try and pick out a favourite. Fishing through this record, I'm like, oh, this is my favourite track. Oh, no, no, this one is. Oh no, this one. And then you're at the end of the record and you're like, well, I don't think I heard 
a bad one. Like I loved One Arm Boxer. I love uh, Populous in two because it's got, they really change it up. It's got like, it brings back the pop punk without being cheesy, but still with amazing drums. Oh man, do you do you agree Populous in two has got so much Taking Back Sunday influence wrapped around it? I really feel that. Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. It's got the dual vocals. It's got the poppiness, the, the big chorus. Yeah. Yeah, it's something, it's something I think they do quite a lot in this album. I've just jotted down a few bands and it shows kind of the broad spectrum they're able to cover across this album without it feeling forced I guess it still feels like a cohesive album but bands for me that come up you got Blink-182 call and response verse types in you know featuring some of your favorite words track real throwback to their pop punk roots Populous in two as we just said real taking back Sunday vibe there under oath influences throughout especially kind of you know earlier under oath sort of style uh, is just scattered throughout. Like they they managed, and and I couldn't help but feel like I was listening to a an Angels and Airwaves song in uh, I liked you better before you were naked on the internet. Like that, it's really cool. That isn't kind it? of like yeah, that drum machine sounding drums. You know, it's just shows. I think they deserve. Uh, as you said, maybe maybe the credit is there. I feel like the credit's not there. I feel like this is a band that even just talking to a few mates this week, and and we just heard you know from Shimfo not really uh, giving them much credit anymore, really sort of flicking them to the curb. I think they do deserve a lot more credit. And for me, it all comes from this one album. But, you know, we talked about The Used having kind of one standout album that could really sit quite high up on the pedestal in the in the emo, screamo scene. I can't see why Dear Diary shouldn't also be sitting right up there at the top. This record, when you listen to every inspiration that's there it's a little bit like that thing where they might not have been the first ones to do it but they did it so well and i think all the different things the members brought to the band it was a real jigsaw puzzle coming together sunny moore was really important to that i'm grateful that this record exists i'm grateful that we both had a good week listening to it and i'm i think i'll keep listening to it like great singles in note to self and ride the wings of pestilence as greblo mentioned even watching the live clips like they're not perfect but there's like an authenticity to it. There's a huge desire to put on a show. The effort was never not there. There was never a we don't give a shit element to them. There was never a, you know, we, we've we've done all the hard work, so now we'll just rock up and, and people will enjoy us regardless, which some bands unfortunately had that vibe. You know, you just you just felt so underwhelmed when you eventually got to see them live because you thought they'd be so much more. This is not a band that can be said for. They had a, a ball of fun on stage every time they played. Um, the energy is always really high and they just go for it. They just absolutely go for it. And I think the other week when we were talking about the high register singers and I talked about the Mars Volta, obviously that week I was listening to a bit of Mars Volta and, and, uh, and watching a few live clips and they're a band that definitely can't really pull off everything that they record live because it is quite intricate and difficult. And I'm not drawing comparisons between the band musically, I'm just drawing comparisons between the band's effort and and the Mars Volta will just go out there and put on a crazy, exciting show, regardless of how well it will come across to the ears from first to last kind of have, have that to them. Like they're not completely just going for it and not hit, hitting any notes. You know, they're definitely making sure they still play the songs well, but more what you're getting is a show. You're, you're entertained by what you're seeing. We saw from first to last at a sound wave, unfortunately not with Sonny. It was in the iteration post him and the band still did a really good job kind of trying to replicate that. But I think the, the, the real work was done with Dear Diary, My Teenage Angst Has a Body Count. There you go. I said it. Oh, man, you're on the books. (laughs) And seeing as this band really did provide a template for the scene, I think there's only one thing we can do. Build a band, yeah. Can we build it? Build a band, yeah. Yes, we can. Screamo or emo and metal too. I know some band dudes. How about you? We're building a band just for fun. Nikki and Paul will get the job done. Build a band, yeah. Can we build it? Build a band, yeah. Yes, we can. Oh, that was lovely. That gets me every time, that intro. <laughs> and going on the intro, it's it's Screamo or Emo and Metal 2. We've ticked off Screamo a few weeks back. 
And today we'll be covering our kind of builder emo band. But just to recap from the last time we did Screamo, we sort of built a four-piece classic Screamo outfit. Um, just to recap the listeners, Paul, can you share with us what your Screamo builder band was last time? I had Tucker Rule on drums from Thursday, Chris Sorensen from Sayerson on bass, Quinn Allman from The Used on guitar, and Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw on lead vocals. Yeah, very solid four there. I, I had also Tucker Rule from Thursday on drums, Chris Steele from Alexa Sunfire on bass, backing vocals. Uh, no, not backing vocals. I don't know why that was written next to him. I don't think he's ever had a microphone in front of him. <laughs> Claudio Sanchez from Coheed and Cambria, guitarist, backing vocals, and Aaron Gillespie from Under Earth as my lead singer. You absolutely screwed me on that one, man. Like we we built that band six weeks ago now, and I still hear about it. Like it's by far been our most popular segment. I think Noel Shinfo with Greblo is hugely popular as a weekly segment, but this is one where people are like, oh, that was good. This would be mine. What you should have done is people just kept telling me how much better you were than me. Well, let's see how much you've not redeemed yourself, <laughs> but maybe you've, maybe there's a bit more thought that went into it this week. We, we did discuss a few little rules with each other. We thought for this classic emo lineup, we're more going to a five-piece band now. And, and a, l- a little bit of a focus on kind of like haircuts, you know, sweeping black fringe haircuts or, or around that kind of realm and that look, makeup leaning or, or influenced uh, kind of whiny singer. Um, at least one backing vocalist, again, can be from any other member in the band and no double ups, no members that we uh, covered from the last segment. I thought before we kind of hear yours, I'll just give everyone just, just, a, just a little taste of uh, what sort of band might get put together. We had uh, Brother Andy reach out when I told him we were, we were doing Build a Band this week again, and he was keen to share who he would put as his uh, kind of all-star emo lineup. So I'm going to start with some of the more, well, not obvious ones, but like he, he's put Tucker Rule this week uh, on drums from Thursday for the emo band. He put Raymond Toro uh, on lead guitar, the uh, My Chemical Romance guitarist, and then some quite quite interesting ones that I really, really liked. So he's got um, Fred Mascherino. I don't quite know how to say it. I think you nailed take, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The Taking Back Sunday uh, guitar, backing vocals, and he was very clear to say circa louder now kind of uh, vibe. Uh, and then he's got Paul Hinojos. I don't quite know how to say it, but he's the bass guitarist from At The Drive-In and the Mars Volta. Um and then I think he's absolutely nailed this lead singer. And, and yeah, he's not my lead singer, but I'm very, very impressed. He's got Jared Leto on vocals from 30 Seconds oh, to Mars. And Andy, and get made, the closet emo. Yeah, yeah. And just uh, a little extra note, you know, Leto can also play guitar. So an extra, uh, <laughs> you know, an ex- extra little note there for Jared oh, Leto. You cheeky Howards. That is good. That's good. good uh, work, I was, Andy. I was very impressed, especially with, with I, I'd sort of totally forgot to even consider someone like Jared Leto, but as a as an emo front man, geez, you, you can't do much better. No, than Jared. That's, that's awesome. That's a great pick. That's really good. Do you want to go first? I think we don't go. Let's go kind of instrument by instrument. I think Let, let's go with that. So I, I don't know. What do you want to start with? We'll start with something kind of. We'll just we'll we'll start with the rhythm section. So we'll we'll kick it from the back. We'll kick it with the drummer. Um, I'm going to go for the drummer of my five piece emo band. I've got the whiny voice covered here. I'm going in strong right from the start. This is my drummer and vocalist. Ooh. I'm going for it. I'm going Francis Mark from from Autumn to Ashes. That guy has got the wine down and he's a great drummer. So I'm coming in strong, man. You better watch yourself this week. That is very strong. That's definitely a band that I also have not listened to in a very long time, but pretty sure saw them at the Corner Hotel. We did. And I think we're going to have to do it on here. I think we're going to have to cover (laughs) them at some stage. Going to have to get into them. But that's a great pick. I love the drummer singer combo i think that's a really cool way to kind of kind of kick it off and and someone very deserving to be in a emo band i'm not sure if i'll top you here might on weirdness though i'm just going to say the name because i don't know if you'll know the name so my drummer is josh dunn do you do you know 21 pilots yeah 21 pilots he is my emo drummer i think he absolutely nails this style uh in a band that's not say typically emo uh, flat toms, real kind of like Travis Barker-esque drumming style, um, has the tats, bit of makeup, fringe. 
He can play the trumpet too if you need that in your band. Oh, maybe we'll just, you know, I love, I know you love a little bit of ska, man. Maybe we can just throw out a, a little ska number here and then from this band. It's my favorite Missy Higgins song. Um, <laughs> I have a, a Josh Dunn story that isn't that great. I went to Groove in the Moo in Bendigo a few years ago where my old housemate Adrian gave me an all, an access all areas pass. So I had a pretty good day just floating around the background, seeing bands set up, like seeing Boy and Bear's guitar tech doing his thing. Uh, getting abused by Danny Brown's manager for taking photos. It, it was a good day. <laughs> yeah, a good day. Uh, ran into Wido's sister and her friends again. Road trip. But I went to like the special area, like VIP toilets, which I don't think I was supposed to. And I went in there and boy, did I do some damage. <laughs> and just, just as I came out of the toilet, there's Josh Dunn from 21 Pilots waiting to go in the toilet after me with his little backpack on because there's something about punk guys and wearing their backpacks all the time and looking like a little schoolboy. And I'm just like, sorry, mate, uh, I'd give that a few minutes. And he didn't understand what that expression meant. And in he went. I think that explains why no one has uh, seen, and there's been no public sightings of the man since that <laughs> I think he passed out and he's still there, man. But, um, <laughs> he did. You're right about that backpack call though. That that's a that's a good call. That that is that was really knowing when we were younger and we caught the old V line from Bendigo to Melbourne. You knew you'd arrived in Melbourne because every friggin' emo kid on Flinders Street had a little backpack on. It was just like just, just holding an- holding the straps on their chest like they're, <laughs> they're all, like ready to go somewhere. Yeah. I remember Dave from the Getaway Plan always had a backpack on. Like he'd just be out in the crowd on his own, hunched shoulders, holding his backpack. It's just like, man, aren't you playing a show? Like, don't you have a green room or like a van you can put your backpack in? There's a clip of Emma Rosa playing on YouTube and Johnny Craig wor- walks out with a backpack on and puts it down next to the amp. I'm like, come on, man. Where did the other guys put their backpacks? It's not next. That's not on the stage. Oh man, it really became an accessory though, didn't it? Like it was just as, as the same equivalent as... You know, definitely not me. I was never going there, but fingerless gloves, studded belt, <laughs> fucking backpack. You know, you gotta gotta tick your items off before you leave the house. And that was I don't even have people. anything in this. I just have to have my backpack. <laughs> got it. Probably probably some like scrunched up bloody paper just to fill it out, so it looked like there was full of journal <laughs> pages about their deep dark thoughts about Flinders Street Station. <laughs> so we've got uh, our drummers down. What yep. is your who is your bass player? Okay, I thought you know. I had to find a way. This is going to ring true to some people here, but, you know, why not put myself in the band? I had to put myself, and I'm not talking about me, Skinny Nick. I'm talking about Mikey Way from My Chemical Romance. I was thinking about this guy just this morning. I'm like, remember when that guy looked like Skinny Nick? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like that it's that way too. Yeah, remember when he looked like me? Not not when I looked like him. I was doing the awful straight fringe and bad glasses first. No, I wasn't. But uh, <laughs> but that that's that's my bass player, uh, Mikey Way, for more than anything, just uh, because he looks like me. So he, he's my bass player in my emo band. He ticks off probably looks more than anything for this type of uh, this type of lineup. Perfect, perfect. Well, I'm going. This is another dual role. This is bass and full body paint. That is the role that this person plays in the band, and it is. <laughs> Wes Borland from Limp Biscuit slash from first to last because yes, Wes yes. Borland played bass on Heroin and toured with them, was their live bass player and fully intended to join the band as a regular member, save for how busy he got with other projects. But that is one of the strangest footnotes of this band is that Wes Borland, the guitarist from Limp Biscuit, the makeup body paint guy, fully leaned into this massive emo band. Yeah, it was one of the best things I found out this week. I did not know that previously. And then that just kind of popped up in a bit of a wiki search, Google search. And I was so pleasantly surprised. I was like, that is amazing. And the fact, as you said, not just in the studio, like he then toured and was very, very keen to kind of kick on. There's promo photos with him in there. Yeah, that's an amazing choice. And what a a fitting uh, episode while doing From First to Last to put Wes on on base of all things. And uh, There's another little link there too. Um, Alicia Way, Mikey Way's wife, played bass from From First to Last too. Oh, look at that. Full circle. Got to love that. Got to love that. Uh, I think we've got a pretty strong rhythm section there. Uh, I don't know. Let's see how we my, – my, okay, I'm going to put it out there now. My most interesting pick is actually my rhythm guitarist backing vocalist. 
Okay. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm all ears. Yeah, I'm a little more safe on my singer and lead guitar. So what do you what what do you want to go with? Let's. I want to hear. I want to hear your your cheeky one. I want to hear your okay. secret weapon. Okay. This is this is my this is my cheeky one. This is my secret rhythm. My rhythm guitarist backing vocalist is Benji Madden from Good Charlotte. I oh. think I think this guy fits in extra nice in an emo band. He's, he's got the tats. He's got the makeup. He's the got bleeding the eye makeup. Yeah, yeah. And the, the boy can sing. The boy can play guitar. And, um, yeah, I, I think he's there. I like he's that. There. Yeah, I thought you might like that one. And uh, so, yeah. First real concert I ever went to was Good Charlotte, and we're going to have to do Young and the Hopeless as well. I think that's <laughs> that's a must. Uh, that's a must. good, man. I, I like where you've gone with this. So I thought you'd like mine, Mine is someone who is, I've gone the Claudio Sanchez route like you did a few weeks ago. I've gone Thomas Erak from the Fall of Troy slash Chiotis. So Thomas Erak is the lead singer and guitarist of Fall of Troy. And for a year or two, he was just the guitarist in Chiotis. And the Chiotis part is what really makes him an emo. He's an incredibly talented guitarist, a great vocalist, a great lyricist, and can just shred and sing at the same time. So I feel like got a pretty strong backline here. Yeah, that that's really a, a jack of all trades there, isn't it? Like you put someone like that in on kind of rhythm guitar, backing vocals, like you basically pick up an extra lead guitarist and an extra front person as well. Like, like that's, that's an incredibly solid pickup. You know, someone, someone falls down uh, and can't do something, you know, for a certain gig. Don't worry. You've, you've got them covered. You've He's got, got them covered. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to lead guitarist. This is where I get a little safer, but I just couldn't really look past the, my lead guitarist or singer. So lead guitarist for me, I got to go with the ultimate Nash of the band. I'm putting Ryan Ross from Panic at the Disco on, <laughs> yes. on lead guitar. Emo of emo ticks every single box that could be required to to be in an emo band. And uh, yeah, just I, I just couldn't look past him. I couldn't think of anything better. He was a huge loss from the scene. Like it's just it's such a shame that it didn't work out in Panic at the Disco. And then what he moved on to because I think. He was really important to their early sound, as we covered in our Panic at the Disco episode. If you feel like going back and listening, he yeah, he was a big loss and a great talent. So that's a really good pick. My lead guitarist, I've gone obnoxious. I've gone Dan Jacobs from Atreyu. He's the one that wears like the cutoff sleeves, the like Japanese headband, the bright green like Explorer-esque guitar. And he's just like, he's a little dude, so he's compensating. And I love that that ego on stage. So Dan Jacobs from Atreyu is sleeping on the right side of the bed tonight. He's my lead guitarist. <laughs> oh, man. If any time you can fit a member of Atreyu in to an emo band, I think that's only a good thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. not, not a great band, but when you're talking emo, it's hard to look past Atreyu fitting right in in that kind of that kind of seam and that vibe. So, yeah, I love that. I remember that, dude. I remember that kind of like that look and that style really out there. So, what what more would you want? I've gone for the kind of like sleepy, you know, shoegaze kind of lead guitarist <laughs> and, and you've gone for, you know, balls to the wall in your face lead guitarist. I you've love that. gone for the sad emo. I've gone for the cocky emo. <laughs> yeah, cocky emo. Uh, all right. Let's, let's, let's uh, finish this off with the lead singer. Uh, I've, I just think this person covers it very, very well. One of the kind of like, you know, absolute standouts from the scene. Hayley Williams, Paramore, put her put her on the vocals. That is right just on. that is just where it needs to be. What an amazing singer! What an amazing uh, show person! And and the look. You know, we're talking emo, so we're talking fringe. You know, fingerless gloves. We're talking all cringy look. And if you look at early Paramore, not not so much newer Hayley Williams solo career stuff, but early Paramore, uh, she had it going on. And uh, yeah. That, that rounds out my my builder band. That is an excellent band. Well, I, I've played it in a similar fashion where I'm just like, this is someone who is at the mountaintop of emo, a great front person. I've gone Jared Way from My Chemical Romance. He's right up the front of my my amazing builder band that is better than yours. <laughs> Man, I, I love that you put him as lead singer because I, for a long time, all week had Hayley Williams slash Jared Way and just couldn't split it. But when I put Mikey Way myself on bass, I was like, I can't have two Mike Hem guys. Uh, so so I had to boot, had to boot Jared and put Hayley Williams in there, which I'm very, very comfortable with. So yeah, this I week know. was good. There's quite a few people on the bench still. Like there's still plenty of good people that could fit this mold. Yeah, yeah. 
Definitely. And I'd like to hear from the listeners this week. You know, let's see, has Paul, you know, kind of come back? I think he's come back with an incredibly strong band. No, no knock on the Screamo band either. It was a great Screamo band. But uh, a little more a little more fun this week, you know, a little more spicy, taking a few members. I went harder this time. <laughs> it went harder. And I think you've built a great band. I think I've built a great band. Love that we had no double ups this week. That's always fun. We need to get out of each other's heads. So <laughs> I'll put something on the Instagram to that kind of recaps our our bands that people can write down theirs if they feel comfortable. So give us a little recap. Who were your five again? Yeah. So I got Hayley Williams on lead vocals, Ryan Ross lead guitar, Benji Madden on rhythm guitar, backing vocals, Mikey Way on bass, and Josh Dunn on drums. Good choices. Yeah. I've got Jared Way from My Chemical Romance on vocals. Dan Jacobs from Atreyu on guitar, Thomas Erak from Fall of Troy and Chiotis on guitar. I've got Wes Borland from Limp Biscuit and from First to Last on bass, and Francis Mark from From Autumn to Ashes on drums and vocals. So I'm uh, I'm pretty stoked on this one. Yeah, it's all about the bass player there for you. You absolutely nailed that. That alone gives you the win. I think that that's that's <laughs> just it, isn't it? You got Wes Borland. Anytime you can put. Someone from Limp Biscuit into your band, bloody do it. Uh, it is always a pleasure building a band with you, and I look forward to doing it again. Sorry, what? Was, was that Lights Out Good Night? <laughs> oh, no, not quite. <laughs> uh, very good. That was, uh, for the listeners, that was mine and Nick's follow-up band once we left the shackles of Violence and Sunshine and decided to go out on our own and copy a band that already existed. Who was that? Idiot Pilot. Idiot Pilot. Pilot. Idiot Pilot. Yeah. yeah. A sound that completely existed. And we're like, we'll just do that because no one will know that we're just doing that. <laughs> Yeah, it 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 worked, hey. Like, cause yeah, no one knew you. You could barely remember the name of the band then. So, <laughs> yeah. not a hugely popular band. Very very cool band, though. I recommend people to go check them out if they haven't heard them before. But yeah, it was a an easy win where we could basically write like six to eight songs for a full set in in like a week. I think we did because we basically just listened to their album nonstop and then just kind of tried to write something very similar. <laughs> Exactly. And it was it was a fun band. I think we had a good time doing it because two people in a band is a hell of a lot easier than four or five. So I think that was the big win for us. But yeah. then we, we stopped being friends for a few weeks and cancelled the band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love that. Yeah. It was a very oh, short band day. I think we played like three, <laughs> yeah. three shows. Our third member was a computer. Uh, so, yeah, it was quite quite easy to set up. But, no, I believe that sound, that uh, little kind of transition, w- what are you getting at there with that super dubstep remix, my friend? So it was mentioned at the top of the show, and Sonny Moore was 16 or 17 when he joined, or maybe even younger when he joined from first to last, but certainly when they released their first record, still very much underage at about 17 years of age. Stuck around in the band for a while, They released a more mature record in 2006 called Heroin. And then, which some people may have not known until this episode, from first to last, Sonny Moore became Skrillex. So pretty huge jump. One, I think one of the biggest success stories in the scene. We've had so many bands be right at the top of the emo game and then, you know, quickly drop off. And from first to last kind of did that, but Sonny Moore didn't. But we'll pull back a little bit and just talk about heroin in 2006. I know as we got ready for this episode this week, you said you nothing rang a bell to you. Nothing you heard was like, oh, you know, that chorus, I remember that, nothing. And, and I listened back to it this week and really liked it, but I realized it doesn't have a single like memorable chorus on the whole record. And it's a pretty interesting representation of how much Sonny Moore's voice had in a way failed and changed. So he had huge vocal cord issues with the touring related to Dear Diary. They dropped off certain tours because he couldn't hold up. He had surgery and he had to change his voice. You can't sing that high, especially as you get older. He goes from being 17, 18 to 19, 20, 21. You're growing up, your voice changes, your body changes, and they couldn't really keep up. I think there are some really good songs on this record, like Latest Plague was the single, and that's probably my favorite on the whole record. Shame Shame is a really good song and does have a bit of a chorus, but nothing super memorable. 
And I think there's some really great lyrical explorations on this record with the like self-awareness of their fame and the judgment that was coming. You know, there is a song with the lyrics like, you know, do you know what it's like to feel ugly all the time? And even I picked on the guy's looks at the start of this episode. So they were really aware of what was going on and where they were being held. And they released this record and it just didn't, even though it got them signed to a major label, it didn't grab fans the way that Dear Diary had. And I think it really turned a lot of people off. And I assume that's kind of what you noticed as you listened to it this week. Yeah, it was weird because the, the most memorable thing for me was, was the album cover. Like when I, when I was on Spotify and I'd given my fourth or fifth listen to Dear Diary and I was like, shit, I better move on, better, better check out a little bit more. And I went, oh, heroin. Yeah, I know that album. From the album cover, I went, that just looks super familiar. I'm going to really enjoy this. Put it on and yeah not a single note triggered any memory. I honestly do not think I have ever listened to this album. It just, it just must've, it was 2006. So this is year 12 for us. Um, so a little bit weird because this, this is still right in our heyday of being bloody emos at high school. We hadn't, you know, moved off to Melbourne to be cool indie kids yet. You know, we, we were still, right in that scene our band I think was still together at this point and from first to last we're a band that I knew of and was really into from Dear Diary it's about a three-year gap though hey between the two albums which is 2004 and 2006 maybe like early 2004 and late 2006 but you know they they felt like an entire age when we were that young you know what we kind of would go through week to week at that age you time travels a bit differently doesn't it yeah yeah for sure and um listening to heroin this week i've got to admit that still now nothing has stuck with me it's not bad it just didn't really feel like i was listening from first to last and i think a lot of that was sunny having to change the way he sang those, those soaring high vocals are kind of gone um the more chaotic uh in your face double kick drumming has dropped out a bit uh, and that is kind of, as I said, right at the top of the show, there are really those three kind of key elements to what for, from first to last is for me. I don't know. I think you definitely got a little bit more out of it. You talked about wanting bands to evolve and develop and, and give a little more and not just kind of play it safe. Um, I think for a band like from first to last, I would have liked a little bit more of just basically just give me Dear Diary too. And that is the constant battle these bands have is just like, do we cater to what's going to sell records? Do we cater to what we really want to do? Because there's no true formula for it. We keep learning about how difficult record labels are for some bands. That wasn't the case for these guys. This is the record that got them the major deal, but they'd already kind of like some of the magic had worn off a little bit. And I think Sonny Moore's vocal cords had a huge, huge role in that. I just don't think the band wrote music that was appropriate for where his vocals were at too. I think at times you're listening to the music the band wanted and the particularly lyricism Sonny Moore wanted to deliver. This is a very lyrically gifted record, but it's lost some of the magic in terms of the the melody and the harmony and the catchiness. I don't know if the fans were up for that. I don't know if 14, 15 year old Hot Topic kids, or in our case, Smoke Dreams and Feisty kids, are really looking for records where Sonny Moore is singing about how hard it is to be famous. You know, because it was bullshit. Like they were under the microscope and he was criticized constantly for his looks, for his age, for his talent. The band was, you know, a bit of a joke to people. They were an easy target because of the way they looked. Still, the fans weren't like, I I don't want to hear about that, man. I want to hear about maybe you being sad because I'm feeling sad too, but it's not because I'm rich and famous or because I'm the lead singer of an internationally touring band that's signed to a major label. Yeah, and and I think I'm definitely someone who is guilty in just more caring about the the melody and the sound. I'm, I don't definitely didn't then care at all about lyrics. You know, we talked about senses fail right at the start of doing this whole thing and uh, loving them for, for a period there. And their lyrics are some of the worst lyrics ever put down on, on paper. But at, at that age, uh, did not care. It, I didn't really think about it too much. I wasn't looking for someone to, well, just this is me personally. A lot of people were obviously listening to more emo music because of what was being said and how they could relate to that and how they could kind of feel that, oh, yeah, it's really good to know that I'm not the only one, you know, feeling this way or having these struggles or, you know, having difficulty with relationships or my emotions or whatever it might be. 
I wasn't that kid. I was a real happy kid. I didn't really give a shit about much at all. And uh, nothing really bothered me too much. I listened to emo because I liked the sound of the music. And, and one of the big things for a band like from first to last is how good Sonny Moore can sing that high register vocals over really kind of heavy, chaotic uh, music under, under, underneath in what we get in Dear Diary. And as soon as kind of that was gone, and it, as you said, definitely more of a mature album. And it just, yeah, it's, it's not what I wanted then. And as a nostalgic look back now, it's not what I want now. Like I just, I just want Dear Diary. I just want everything about that, um, which, is, which is a bit unfair, but I don't think I'd be the only fan that is a little bit of a one album fan for this band. And I think it's because Dear Diary is so good. Like there, when I spoke about Panic at the Disco, like I was basically bored halfway through that record that I love. Like I wish they would emulate the first half of that of a fever you can't sweat out because i felt like it was unfinished business it's different with dear diary because i'm like this is so fucking good and this is so important as an influence to the rest of the scene and it, it's also just like a flashpoint of the scene they weren't the first to do it but they did it so damn well it's almost like a time capsule so i think that's it was almost like instant nostalgia where already by 2006 you're like guys that was incredible give it to us again like there's just Give me, give me more. I'm ready for it. It's not me 15 years later wanting it. I wanted it then, and I'm sure you did too. Yeah, I wanted it then. I just wanted uh, them to replicate that. I understand that that uh, isn't always the way it goes, but, you know, you talked about after heroin, uh, you know, Sonny Moore's kind of departure. I really have no idea what happened with this band after he left, but from a, a quick look, it looks like they churned through a bunch of members, potentially a bunch of different lead singers like, what sort of happened to, uh, what sort of happened to from first to last after Sunny left? Apparently, they were ready to fly to California to record their next record with Sunny, and he like, kept delaying and kept ghosting them and things like that. And then, as they were like on their way or just about to leave, he's like, "Yeah, I'm out, guys." And so they released a statement that was very much that like on the front foot, like Sunny's departed, but we're going to be better than ever. Like we've still got the core of the band. Um, you know, Matt's going to become the lead singer again. We've got a bass player that will become a permanent member. We'll be a four-piece. We'll do this thing. And that's the version of the band we saw live. And they were good, but they were good because they were doing the old stuff. Like, I don't care about the the new songs. And I think they did have, like, a, a mild fan base because, like I said, that next record was the one that was on a major. So the one without Sonny is the one that went on a major. But it didn't do super well. They bounce, bounced around record labels Matt was the only one that stayed constant. Like even Travis Richter was kicked out for a bit and he went and became a singer of a different band. Derek Bloom, the drummer left. And it was not, it was just kind of like a mess all the time. Like, yeah, no, we're still here guys. And we're just working it out. And then, you know, from first to last, we'll never die. And then like, yep, from first to last is done. <laughs> and then Matt, Matt's in a band with Craig Owens from Chiotis the day after he's announced it from first to last is done. I just don't ever think they really knew what they were doing. Sonny Moore was not the original singer of that band. Matt Good was, but it doesn't mean he wasn't the best singer of that band. And they tried to get it back together in 2015. They invited Sonny. He didn't get back to them. So they got Spencer Satello from Periphery and they're like a prog band. And it was just super fucking weird. They re-recorded songs Sonny had done with Spencer singing. And he's an incredibly talented singer. But again, it just didn't feel right. And so then a couple of years later, 2017, I think, uh, they release a single with Sonny called Make War. It's pretty cool. Like, it's a bit of a banger. It's a bit of a classic emo anthem. They did a couple of shows. They've released a second single. They said they were going to come back, but they didn't. And I think that just speaks to where this band always was after Sonny left. Just lost in the wilderness. We want to do this. We can't do it. We're going to do it. We're not doing it. And <laughs> that's hard for a fan to keep up with. Yeah, I think it. I, I at least like that they somehow got to a point where Sonny did come back into the band. They did release that single, as you mentioned, and they did play a bunch of shows. There's a few of them on YouTube. You can, you can check them out. And again, they just look like back to where they were some, you know, 12, 15 years earlier. They all look like they're having a lot of fun again. I don't know how many of all of the original members are in that lineup? Do you, like a Matt Good, I'm pretty sure yes. is there. And then yeah, so I'm not it's sure Matt, that. Derek and Travis, the three of them are there. Yeah. And, you know, and Sonny. And 
they did have their long-term base player up until recently. So, I mean, even the reunion, they can't kind of keep everyone together, which, <laughs> which still, is telling. Yeah, still in, still impressive for a band that clearly struggled so much after Sonny's departure to figure out, well, what band are we? Who's still interested to be here? What do we stand for? What are we on about? They could never quite get it right. It looked like everyone else probably had, you know, um, I guess interests elsewhere, really. Everyone else started to go, well, Sonny's out. I'll stick around for a bit, but if I get a better offer, I'm going to take it. That's really what <laughs> yeah. it looks like happened. Hey, even Matt Good did that. Like you know, from it was all from first to last until it wasn't. Yeah, so, like even the guy who's been there forever is still kind of deciding whether it was worth it or not. But that was their trail. What was Sonny Moore's trail? Like he leaves from first to last, shocks the emo world. You know, the king has stepped down from his throne, <laughs> and he released an electronic project called Sonny, and it was a bit mediocre, man. I remember kind of thinking, I'm like. Oh, he's screwed up. Like from first to last, he's going to keep going. And he's, you know, kind of shat the bed here. But a couple of years later, somebody pops up as Skrillex, the like the sound of a generation, like almost, you know, introducing not a new genre of music, but again, like from first to last, you might not be the first to do it, but you do it really well. And Skrillex just grabs the attention of the world with his brand of dubstep and his first record. What's it called? Scary Monsters and Nice Sprites. Yeah, his only record. God. Is that his only record? <laughs> only so he Skrillex hasn't done record. anything else. He's just released singles outside of that. So, um, you know, produced a lot of stuff, re- um, released a bunch of singles, but that still stands as the only Skrillex album. No way, because he won a bunch of Grammys for that, right? Yeah, I think from that album alone, I think he won three straight up off the, off that release. Um, like, you know, like Best, best New Artist, um, best dance artist, something like that. Yeah, there was a, I think there's three just from that album and all his subsequent uh, Grammy wins, of which there's five more for a total of eight, um, more come from, you know, things that he's a producer on or or some of those kind of more singles um, that he's released, which is incredibly impressive, really. When you think about Skrillex, you think about how popular he is. Like this, this, is, the, this is the billion listens type of artist. You know, this is the guy that's, that's right up the top alongside you know, Taylor Swift's Beyonce, like this, this, this kind of, this kind of band or as such or, or artist is hugely popular, but has not released that much stuff has definitely done probably more, pro- more producing than, than anything. So that that's insane. Like I, I couldn't, I, I just assumed that, yeah, I knew the singles from Skrillex cause they're everywhere and they're so catchy and so good, but there's surely the true Skrillex fans who know, more of his stuff and, and more of his albums and all these things. And I was like, oh no, there's not really that much more out there. Like that kind of is it. And you've just built so much popularity from kind of just dropping a bomb and going, this is what I've got. And the timeline of his like, you know, although it was temporary return to from first to last kind of lines up when they're like, awards from Skrillex dried up like you know he was winning Grammys up till 2016 and then oh it's 2017 and I'm back in from first to last for a minute like I I think dubstep had its moment in the sun and I think it's a divisive genre but you can't deny the influence he had on two completely separate genres of music oh and to put both of those genres of music that generally wouldn't fit in the mainstream in the mainstream you know he put such a like emo slash metal slash screamo slash you know especially that dear diary album like that's an album that you listen to those songs and you'll be like nah that'll never get on the radio they'll never have you know a film clip that's played every weekend on video hits uh they did and then you listen to skrillex and you go uh this stuff's kind of quite unique and quite niche this is just getting played at dance festivals it's not going to be on on top 40 radio. It's not going to win a Grammy. Oh, what's that? It fucking did. So the the guy knows what he's doing. You know, he's just like, he, I, th- I think I think he's earlier kind of, he, I think he went to a kind of more performing arts school when he was young. Maybe some of that just like rubbed off on him really, really well and helped him continue on to actually be quite a good artist and just understand music, not necessarily being the most talented musician as such you know not the best singer in the world not the best guitarist in the world but just understood music and that's why I guess he fell more into being a producer he just he just can listen to music he can understand how to put songs together and yeah I I remember very early on hearing some kind of early stuff that he was doing in that you know kind of dubstep electronic kind of area and being like eh this isn't for me 
And then when he just spent a little bit more time and, and, and you know, obviously came out as, as Skrillex under that name and released songs, there's some, there's some of the coolest songs, like fucking Bangarang, like, geez, if that's not getting you up off your seat, I don't know what is. But, um, yeah, just incredible amount of credit needs to go to this guy for, for what he's been able to achieve. Definitely, definitely. Well, I think it might be nice to round out today's episode on a game. Let's do it. People of all ages, this is The Quiz. We spoke about it earlier, and it's one of my favorite songs on Dear Diary, and that is the song Populous in Two. There's a great line in the song, and it's, even if I spent 2004 listening to Morrissey in my car, and I think Morrissey is like the proto-emo sad boy. It's a different brand of emo from from first to last, but Morrissey is absolutely, and the Smiths are absolutely the first wave of emos, and such an influence on so many emos, and clearly an influence on Sonny Moore. So the game today is from first to last, or the Smiths. And I know how much you listen to lyrics. I know how much you love paying attention to lyrics. And I thought, what better way than to put Nick to the test with a bit of a lyrical game where I ask you or I read to you a song lyric because you pay so much attention and you have to tell me, is that song the Smiths or is it from first to last? Oh, my kryptonite. Oh, I do not feel confident at all. Um, my, my poor ears have failed me year after year, but... Uh... I will absolutely give this my best. I will, I will try and use any other trick I've got to try and get the right answer here. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got 45 of these, so let's see how oh, you go. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy two hours of listening, guys. <laughs> so the first lyric is, well, I can smile about it now, but at the time it was terrible. Is that the Smiths or is it from first to last? I'm going the Smiths. That is correct. That is the Smith song, Shakespeare's Sister. Off to a good start. Two roads split off from here, and my life goes running in opposite directions. Oh, my God, man. These are so generic, hey? Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going the Smiths again. From first to last, note to self. That is the very oh. first line of the song. All right, next one. To die by your side while the pleasure, the privilege is mine. Oh. Die, uh, pretty emo. Give it to from first to last. <laughs> that is the Smiths. There is a light that never goes out. See, man, proto emo. He was Morrissey was a big old sad boy. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. <laughs> I miss you terribly. This is what we call a tragedy. Oh, that that. That to me could be from any 2000s emo band. So I have to, I have to say from first to last for that one. Good work. That was from first to last. Note to self again. Oh, there we go. Note to self. I miss you terribly. This is what we call a tragedy. You got it. Very All good. right. Very next good. one. Your memories will always haunt me like a ghost. To put it nicely, I hope you choke. Oh, okay. That's a bit, that's a bit angsty. That's a bit, uh, I can't imagine the Smiths being that kind of like angry with something. Hmm. Uh, I'm going from first to last again. Congratulations. Yep. That is from first to last populous in two. What I thought was a certainty has left me spinning in circles again. Okay. Okay. I'm feeling that vibe. I'm feeling that vibe. Good lyrics, guys. Uh, Morrissey, the Smiths. Oh. That is from first to last. I liked you better before you were naked on the internet. Oh, I like that song too when I listen to it's it. It's a good tune. Yeah. <laughs> All right, a couple more to go. Oh, shit. I'm not doing well. I wish I had it counted because I'm too busy doing the sound effects and I didn't pay attention to how many you got I right. I think I got, I think I'm on two. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's two. I wanted to be that breath of fresh air when everything smelled so insincere. Okay. Okay. That sounds a little more mature. That sounds like someone who's feeling the, feeling the vibe a bit more. Uh, uh, let's go to Smith's. This is not fun for the listener, hey? Like me just going... From first to last, note to self again. <laughs> <laughs> this is me literally going like, uh, I have no idea. Uh, I've got two choices. <laughs> I, I mean, I designed this game perfectly. It's supposed to fuck you up, and I, I Man, wonder if the listeners are doing any better. I hope people at home are doing much, much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know it's over, and it never really begun, but in my heart, it was so real. Yeah, it was. 
I'm just trying to do numbers on how many from first to last. If this is from fucking note to self, I'm going to scream. Give me a Smiths. Give me the Smiths. Well done. That is from the Smiths. I know it's over. So we're, I think we're guessing you're on about three, right? This is the last I think one. It's, I think it's three, yeah. Not great. All right. If I wasn't such a pessimist, this chapter would have played out differently. Uh, okay, here's my thinking. Pessimist. For a pessimist, I'm pretty optimistic. Is Paramore, Paramore, Emo, Emo from first to last. Give it to me. Yeah, boy. Finished off strong, (laughs) mate. Well done. I know you (laughs) are not a lyrical listener, so I think you did fantastically well there, even just playing (laughs) along. (laughs) Yeah. For the the listener at home that doesn't necessarily know me, uh, I I have very, very bad hearing, and uh, it's hard to explain. It's hard to explain what what I hear when someone is singing. It's sort of weird. It's it's words like I know it's English that's being like for for the majority of bands I listen to outside of Cigaroz. I know it's uh I know it's English that they're singing in and it sounds like words I'm aware of, but I just don't I just don't piece together what the words are when it enters my brain. It's just like maybe, you know, one in every three or four words will kind of hit and then the rest are just more of a malady. So Anyway, that's just me rambling on a bit there, but uh, that's why I often will, you know, like bands that others might not because I'll be like, how can you like that band? Man, their lyrics are shit. And I'm like, are they? Yeah. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. (laughs) I wouldn't know. Sounds good though. (laughs) <laughs> uh, you're just experiencing on a different level to us, man. You're just, uh, you're different to the rest of us sheeple. You're doing your own research (laughs) on this music. Oh dear, don't even, do not even trigger me like that. Well, is there anything else you want to talk about, about from first to last or Skrillex or Emo? I think the only thing that we haven't really mentioned, but Shimfo did, and that's the song Emily that is on Dear Diary. And this song being the acoustic ballad emo anthem, probably of the scene. Like there's a few bands that, that did... Uh, you know, uh, an emo ballad, especially an acoustic version type thing. But holy shit, Emily is the one that it, it's a little bit hard to listen to. It's probably the only cringy song on the album. I, I realize that now. I completely skipped over it. I said there isn't a bad song and this is not a bad song, but you don't want to listen to it, do you? You just don't want to listen to it again. And the, the only piece of advice I'll give to anyone that was into From First to Last back in the day and is thinking about listening to it, don't let that song put you off if you're keen to go back and listen to Dear Diary and, and enjoy that kind of um, that kind of trip. Just skip Emily and I reckon you'll you'll enjoy it because it comes pretty early on. I think it's like the fourth or fifth song on the album, which is also a very uh, kind of unique position to put a song like that on an album like this. I would say you'd it use it. It should have been the last track. It should have been the last track and that would make it easy for all of us now too. We just could stop. But um, it's, it's somewhat in the middle. This, this song was so so popular though man like this song was everywhere everyone would sing it when they played live they didn't even have to go to the microphone because the crowd would sing it way louder than they ever could and uh, you talked a little bit earlier about you know kind of females in the scene liking from first to last and not not saying that it was all due to this song but girls fucking love this song too man even though it's a guy singing about a girl for some reason that rung true to a lot of girls as well. Did, did you ever sing it to anyone? I did not. No fucking chance, man. <laughs> I don't think I've ever sung to anyone. So You've got to make sure that their name fits the syllables <laughs> of it. <laughs> You've done this, haven't you, man? You yeah, did. I have. Oh, dude. <laughs> That's huge. That is amazing. Oh, it was terrible. And it didn't go down well either because that shit is so uncomfortable. No one wants a fucking emo at the party to sing to them. Dude, it's I need, just not cool, I man. I need a little more context here. You can either do it now or we can have this chat offline. But I don't think I knew this. Oh, shit. Uh, there was quick context, a girl. Quick context and then we'll, and then yeah, we'll wrap there up. was a girl that I was hanging out with that really loved from first to last. And I'm not even going to tell you her real name because I'd be really worried that this would get back to her. <laughs> so let's say her name was Jenny. It's not. Yep. And like her last name was Evans, Jenny Evans. Okay. So, you know, you, Emily is Emily, three syllables. Yeah. Well, Jenny is two. So I had to sing Jenny E 
to oh, make it the three syllables. Man. There's no one in the world like Jenny E. And fuck, man, that is just disgusting. That is not disgusting. <laughs> that is amazing. I love it. I hope she did too. Uh, putting yourself she out did there not. at a party yeah. <laughs> with other people or, or kind of off in the bedroom? No, no, it was me and her back at her house and me being allowed to touch her boobs over her shirt and, um, you know, just she got the guitar out and was having a bit of a strum. She's like, do, do you know any any songs? And I'm like, yeah, I've been waiting for this moment. Man, this- and yeah, I got like, I got about 45 seconds into it and was just like, and final chord and yeah let's go do something else because i can see you haven't said a word or and you haven't blinked so let's go to pinky's pizza and forget all about this oh man this is probably my new favorite thing that i know about you actually i think we will be we were already friends for life but we will definitely be friends. thank you for sharing uh that's amazing if anyone else has sung emily to a girl please let me know because i love that story that's so good <laughs> All right, so that's it this week for the Violence and Sunshine podcast. As always, you can check us out on Instagram, at Violence and Sunshine. Uh, Really appreciating everyone for listening. Um, As always, if you like what you're hearing, uh, feel free to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or follow, subscribe us on any podcast platform that you're listening to and continue to spread the word. We've had a lot of new listeners in recent weeks and that really means a lot to us. It's so nice to hear from people. So please keep those messages coming. Hit us up on the Instagram, send us an email, whatever it might be. Thank you for listening and make sure you join us next week when we'll be exploring Emery. I'm Paul. And I'm Nick. Take care and don't forget, inspiration isn't cheap these days. This is the Violence and Sunshine podcast. Please leave your message after the beep. Guys, you really did me wrong. You did me very dirty on that Sayosin episode. Love the quiz. It was all really, really great. I got them all right because I'm a superstar genius. But Nick, I did not deliberately set you up with that guy. You asked for like a fun little jibe. I gave you something. It depends on your relationship with that person and your delivery. You can say it between friends, so maybe I sort of thought that you were closer with this person than you actually were. Uh, Maybe this person just doesn't know how to take a joke. Maybe it was in the delivery, but I didn't deliberately stitch you up in that way. To call someone 250 or will is is not too bad. There are a lot of worse insults I could have given you. Uh, Yeah, so I I think it's pretty, pretty poor form to attack me and... Yeah, have a crack at me on the podcast when I had no right to be there to defend myself. So I'm sending this in. Justice for Reese. That's what I'm saying. Hashtag justice for Reese.